When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. On today's show, our staff is sharing how they started sewing. I always love to hear how people got into the hobby because it's so different for everyone. Some people came from a long line of quilters. Uh, some people were involved in 4-H or took a home economics class. Uh, some people started sewing later in life after they retire, or some come into it when they have a baby. There are so many entry points for introducing sewing and quilting into our lives, and every new sewer and quilter that's brought into the fold is so welcome here. It's exciting to hear everyone's journey. So I'll start by sharing mine. I have no memories of sewing from growing up. Uh, my mom did own a sewing machine, but I don't remember her using it often. Uh, maybe just one time to hem a set of curtains for my teenage bedroom. And we didn't have a home economics class in school. I don't think I was ever aware of anyone sewing or quilting around me. But when I interviewed for my job, which is, it was my first job out of college, uh, at the interview, they asked me if I had ever touched a sewing machine, and I said no. So at that time, I was working at Michael's Craft Store, and when I told a lady I worked with that they asked if I could sew, she invited me over to her home for a quick sewing lesson. So she was a quilter herself and was so gracious with her time. So we just made a simple table runner. It was basically just one piece of fabric that we hemmed. Uh, and the whole time, you know, she was telling me about quarter inch seams and pressing directions. And my mind just wasn't computing. It was like she was speaking a foreign language to me. Uh, but at least, you know, I had touched a sewing machine before I got hired. So I got thrown into quilt pattern writing at my job uh, right away, which was the best learning experience to get me into quilting. Some people like to learn by practicing, but my mind works best with words. So I would bring home the American Patchwork and Quilting Complete Guide to Quilting book every night. And I would just pour over the pages, read the chapters, um, Google or YouTube things for more info if I needed like a demonstration. And so I quickly learned the whole quilting process and I could write patterns uh, long before I ever made a quilt. So at one point, uh, we hosted a pillowcase sewing day for our 1 million pillowcase challenge, if any of you remember that. And this was my first time sewing with my coworkers in the office. So I completely sewed part of the fabric into the seam of my pillowcase and my coworker Beth nicely helped me seam rip the stitching line out so I could try again. And that experience taught me the value of pinning fabrics, um, that I have to take my sewing slower until I learned more. <laughs> 
And then later that year, our staff did an easiest quilt ever project. So basically, we each got a fabric line that we cut up into 10 inch squares and then sewed those squares together in rows to make a small throw. And we did this to show off a variety of fabric lines to our readers. And this was my first quilt, and it was the best one to start with. I learned accurate cutting and pressing. I learned quarter-inch seams. Uh, I learned how to align rows and pin them together for nesting seams. Um, and at that point, I lived in an apartment across the street from the office, and we just had the snowiest winter ever. So while everyone else in the office was either stuck at home during the snowstorms, you know, I could walk to work and I would spend a few hours by myself just slowly piecing the quilt. You know, I didn't own a sewing machine at the time, so I was making the entire quilt at work. And these quiet, snowy days where I learned and I struggled and, uh, you know, felt so accomplished are some of my favorite memories to look back on when I'm learning how to sew. After that first quilt, uh, nothing could stop me. I was addicted and dove into a variety of projects, including sampler quilts. I did small seasonal wall hangings. Um, I was making gifts for my family. It felt like this whole new world had been just like unleashed to me. Um, And I'm so thankful for everything this job and the quilting community has brought me over the years. Um, At this point in time, I have been quilting for a third of my life. uh, And it's funny to think that there was a time when I couldn't sew. So now I'm going to hand the mic over to some of my coworkers so they can share their experiences. Hi, I'm Doris, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. I come from a long line of sewists and quilters, notably my maternal grandmother and great aunt who made beautiful quilts for their family. My mom has one of these quilts, a twin bow, twin size bow tie quilt made from feed sacks and 1930s fabrics, including a solid pink border and backing, kind of a bubblegum pink. It's definitely a treasure. They taught my mom to sew as a child, and she made outfits and dresses for herself and her sisters for high school dances and her own work attire when she went to work in a bank after high school. My mom enjoyed sewing. She made two satin and organza bridesmaid dresses for her 1963 wedding to rival Jackie Kennedy's ensembles from the time. She made clothing for all five of her children and made nearly all of my dad's casual and dress shirts. At that time, it was less expensive for her to make our clothing, and with five children, frugality was definitely important, but she did like the sewing. I recall begging to her to teach me to sew, and while she was reluctant to let a child mess around with her sewing machine, she did help me sew clothing items for Girl Scouts and 4-H projects. In my teens, my grandmother gifted me a white woven a whole cloth woven coverlet with a mariner's compass motif in the center and other quilt-like motifs woven into the design. I decided I wanted to hand quilt it, so my mom taught me to make a quilt sandwich based and hand quilt to finish that project. I put the sewing down as I got busy with high school and college and eventually went back to quilting in my late 20s. I made a patchwork quilt with some machine applique log cabin blocks that were sliced up into four quarters and pieced together again. That quilt hasn't held up well, uh, thanks to my machine applique skills at the time, 
but it still lives in the trunk of my car and gets pulled out as a quilt to sit on at outdoor events and to pad things packed into the car. Shortly after finishing that project, I started buying quilt magazines, collecting fat quarters to build a stash, and went on my first quilt retreat. I've been hooked ever since. I do still sew a garment here and there. Actually, I have several patterns with fabric set aside to make myself pieces, and I love sewing bags, pin cushions, and most any other textile object. I like to think my quilting grandmother and great aunt would be very proud to see where I've taken their legacy. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. I was a 4-ager growing up, so my first introduction to sewing was making garments to enter into our county fair contest. I had two adult leaders in our 4-H club who were amazing seamstresses. They volunteered every summer to host a sewing workshop to help us kids complete our projects. They were so patient with us, and it was honestly the best way to learn to sew surrounded by your friends. Plus, my mother was extremely happy that she wasn't the one having to help me sew these garments, and I'm sure I listened to my 4-H leaders much better than if I would have listened to my mom, and there were so many less tears and frustrations. And although I haven't made a garment since my days in 4-H, I still remember many of the lessons I learned from them 25 plus years ago. Later, when I picked up quilting, those skills definitely came in handy. Now, I made my first quilt once I started working here in the crafts group back in 2007. Over my lunch hours, I would meet with Jill Mead, one of our editors at the time, and she would teach me the basics of quilting. I will forever be grateful for all of the tips and tricks she shared with me along the way, and every single time I accidentally leave my rotary cutter open, I can still hear Jill's voice in my head reminding me to close my blade just to prevent any accidents to happen. Now, being a perfectionist, I didn't keep or even finish many of the very first quilting projects I worked on. However, I learned many valuable lessons working on each one of them. And while I continue to learn so much about quilting while designing our magazines and working with so many talented quilters, I still find quilting alongside others to be the best way to improve my skills. At least once a year, I attend a family quilt retreat on my mom's side of the family. There are about 12 to 15 of us that attend each year, including my mom, my sister, my grandmother, aunts, great aunts, and cousins. And it just keeps growing as younger generations join in the fun. For three days, we gather together to sew and we enjoy each other's company. I love how all of the generations come together to share what they are passionate about and to learn from each other. I look forward to our retreats all year long, and I am so grateful to be related to so many talented quilters. Hi, I'm Beth, and today I'm sharing my story of how I got started sewing. When I was around 10 or so, I wanted to make clothes for my Barbies and troll dolls. It was fun feeling like a fashion designer and adding beads, lace, rhinestones, and even puffy paint to make designs on the clothes. Yeah, my Barbie was ready to go out on the town in my outfits. I hand sewed the clothing at first, but eventually my grandma loaned me her sewing machine and that took the clothing to the next level. The best part was this particular machine had all these amazing accessory feet. I love to experiment with those and see what each one did. I can still hear the satisfying kathunk sound of the ruffler foot. 
It was this huge metal contraption that pleated the fabric for you before it went under the foot to be sewn. That was especially handy for doll clothes. I'd ruffle a little strip of fabric and hand sew on a snap for an easy skirt. The trolls were really hard to fit for clothing though since they had such large feet, hands, and heads. If you know, you know. They got a lot of little tank tops and skirts that just snapped in the back since pants and fitted shirts were practically impossible. After I aged out of Barbies and Trolls, I switched to sewing clothing for myself. I made a few basic skirts when I was in junior high school. Eventually, I must have lost interest in the hobby and my grandma needed her sewing machine back. She's an amazing seamstress and I have a velvet cape she sewed. I still haven't figured out a way to wear it, but I'm hoping I will someday. So I like to think my love of sewing was passed down from her. My mom says it skipped a generation. So fast forward a number of years and I started working at American Patchwork and Quilting. I'd always loved making things and have dabbled in many different crafts, but at that time scrapbooking was taking up most of my crafting life. As I learned to sew my first quilt for work, my love of fabrics and stitching was renewed. Being surrounded by the gorgeous quilts in the office every day is so much fun. I often get to see quilts come in for the magazine or color options are being made, so there's plenty of inspiration around. And of course, in the pages of the magazines once they arrive in the office. Many of the quilts I've made have been on the cover of our magazines. I think it's because I see the cover so often throughout the process of the magazine being created that I just have to make it. My mom recently brought me a tub of my old things and I found the clothes and troll dolls that she had saved. It was so fun going through and looking at my first projects, even if the sewing was a bit on the crazy side. So fun to think sewing those doll clothes when I was a kid eventually brought me to this amazing hobby of quilting. Hi, I'm Allison. Ever since I can remember, I've been surrounded by sewing and textiles. My grandmother spun her own wool and used it to weave beautiful wall hangings and table runners. My mom sewed all sorts of things, including clothing for my sister and me. As a kid, I was able to help them on various projects, so I picked up general crafting knowledge. I distinctly remember making a chenille pillow and some sort of stuffed animal fish made of batik fabrics with my mom. It wasn't until college that I took a more serious interest in sewing and quilting. The first quilt I worked on was a team effort. I picked out fabrics and maybe helped with a bit of sewing and pressing, and my mom did the rest. Of course, the pattern I chose was all triangles, and I was too scared to mess it up. While I'm sure I had the best intentions of making it a 50-50 project, it ended up being a little more like 80-20. Thanks, Mom. My first real solo quilt was made with 10-inch squares. Instead of buying a set of pre-cuts, I made it harder on myself and bought yardage to cut up. I had thrifted a vanity table and set it up in the corner of my living room apartment that I shared with my college roommate. On the weekends or after class, I worked on sewing those squares together on my makeshift sewing table. It ended up being a large throw that I used for many years but is now tucked away in my closet. During my last semester of college is when I started working for All People Quilt as an intern and learned way more about quilting than I ever could have imagined. My interest in quilting took off, and before I knew it, I was sewing almost every day. As I learned more techniques and practiced the basics, I was more confident to tackle larger projects with more intricate piecing.
Quilting has become a huge part of my life and identity. I'm grateful to my coworkers and fellow quilters for continually inspiring me. And I'm happy to carry on the family tradition of making things with my hands. I like to think that my ancestors who were weavers, tailors, quilters, and sewers would be proud. Hey, it's Lindsay again. Thanks to my coworkers for sharing their experiences. It's nice to have that walk down memory lane. If any listeners want to share how they started sewing and quilting with me, send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. I would love to hear. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're chatting about quilt labels and sharing about a new Christmas sew-along. Welcome back. Now it's time for a segment called Lindsay's Musings, where I poll my Instagram followers on a hot button quilting topic and share some thoughts. And this month's musings were inspired by an email I got from listener Mary. Mary said she belongs to a quilt guild that does a lot of charity quilts and the organizers don't add labels. Mary says she feels very passionate about labeling quilts and that it shows respect for the maker and the recipient, and she wanted to know what other quilters think. So I did a series of polls on my Instagram, and here are the results. A total of 63 people took these polls. Um, First, I asked if people labeled their quilts. So 35% of people said they always label their quilts. 19% of quilters say they never label their quilts. And 46% say they sometimes label their quilts and it depends. So then I asked if people label small quilts like table toppers. And 80% of people said they don't label small quilts. Then I asked if people label gift or charity quilts and 58% of people say they do. So here's how I approach labeling in my own life. I label every gift quilt and every large quilt I make, uh, but I don't bother to label any mini or table runner quilts I make. I think labeling quilts is important, uh, both as a way for me to remember details about the quilt and the date I made it, but also to serve as a history of the quilt and to add a special and personalized touch to any gifts I give. When I first started quilting, I made a resolution to always label my quilts, and now it's just a step in my process. I add labels at the same time I add my binding, and it's barely any extra work. I use extra fabric from the front of the quilt to sew up a quick triangle or rectangle label, uh, hemming the edges as I need to. And I sometimes use pre-made labels as well. And then I use a micron pen to write the details on the fabric. And then I set the ink with a hot iron with no steam. And then when I sew on the binding to the front of the quilt, I add the label to the corner of the quilt and it gets sewn to the back of the quilt at the same time as the binding. And then I just hand stitch those unsewn edges down afterwards. I will post a video of the process in our show notes if you're curious. I promise it is so, so easy. So then I asked my Instagram followers why they don't always label their quilts. And there were a few different answers that popped up again and again. 
The most common one was people saying they're too lazy. And this just makes me laugh because (laughs) making a quilt is so much work. So I know these quilters aren't lazy. I think maybe what they mean is they just want to be done with the quilt at the end. And adding that one more step in the process isn't something they maybe want to spend the time on. If you struggle with this, but want to get in the habit of labeling your quilts, I recommend making the label at the beginning of the process so it's ready to go by the time you're feeling antsy to finish. Then there's no excuse not to add it. Some other people said the reason they don't label quilts is because they don't think labels are important. Uh, They don't feel like they need details of the quilts that are staying inside their home, not necessarily gifts. Um, Or they're not making quilts that are meant to be heirloom or show quilts. And I I understand this viewpoint. Um, Although my argument back is that all quilts are a work of art. And a label on a quilt is just like adding an artist signature to a painting. It's an important step uh, of the process. And it's important to sign your work, even if it's just your name and a date. So one responder actually said they don't add a quilt label because they just write the info on the backing fabric, which is a great way to get in the habit of labeling quilts without too much extra work. Then I asked those who label quilts what info they had to the label. So here's a quick rundown of all the different things that were sent um, in case it sparks some inspiration. So your name, the name of the quilt, the recipient's name, if it's a gift, or the occasion the quilt was gifted for, machine quilter's name, uh, the date it was finished, a short note, uh, washing information, and info on if it was a challenge or a quilt show project. And one quilter said she writes down what number the quilt is. And I just wish I would have done this when I started labeling quilts. Um, It sounds so similar to how some artists label art prints when there's limited runs. Um, I just think it would be so interesting to see how many quilts I've made over the years and to kind of be able to celebrate milestones, you know, such as my 50th quilt. Um, And that would even be a great way to track your skill level and your style changes over the years. So that was so smart. So obviously, quilters should handle quilt labels however they want. Uh, The quilting process should be enjoyable. So don't let labeling a quilt be a stressful part of the process or or keep you from finishing your quilts. Um, But this was a really fun topic to explore, and it does seem like most quilters are in the habit of labeling some of their quilts. So I do love hearing that. If you have topics to explore for the next Lindsay's Musings, let me know. Uh, And make sure you're following me on Instagram so your opinion is heard. Uh, You can find me at Lynn's Mayland. Next, I want to share an exciting new quilt along we're hosting for Christmas. We're calling the quilt Seasonal Sampler. It's a throw size quilt that features 12 different blocks and various sizes that are themed for the holidays. So the blocks include things like ornaments, ice skates, snowmen, mittens, Santa hats, and more. And the blocks range in sizes from 6 to 12 inches and are fast and easy to piece. So they're great for beginner quilters and those who just may feel a little rushed during the holiday season and need to finish things fast. 
So the quilt along is free and it starts October 17th and it ends in early December. And each week we're releasing two block patterns and the blocks look great in all sorts of fabrics. So you can pull from your stash, you could use solids, you could use holiday novelty prints, um, mix and match colors to match your Christmas decor, like whatever you want. And the blocks are also so cute on their own. So if you'd rather turn, you know, just a few of your favorite blocks into a wall quilt or a table runner, or even to make as like cute gifts like coasters or pot holders for the holidays, they would work for that too. There are just so many possibilities with these block patterns. I'm joining in and I'm excited to dig into my stash of holiday fabrics. Uh, I think you can never have too many Christmas quilts. <laughs> so I will link to the quilt along details in these show notes. So you can grab the fabric requirements um, and join the private Facebook quilt along group if you're interested. Uh, it's going to be such a festive and fun way to get some sewing done during the holidays. And I hope you join us. We're going to take another ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing how to maximize wall storage in your sewing room and some great listener tips. Welcome back. It's time for Get Organized, a segment where we share ideas for cleaning your space. And today I want to talk about maximizing your wall space. Often, wall space is an underutilized place to store items. Uh, we may be much more likely to use furniture like bookcases, drawers, or closets to store items versus hanging them up. Using wall space has a few benefits. It places things in your line of sight so that you can easily see them and grab them when needed instead of having to dig through drawers or in bins. And it also frees up room on your workspaces, so you have more room for your quilting projects. So here are a few easy ways to add extra storage to your wall. A common one is a pegboard. Pegboards are so versatile. They can be cut into any size, they can be painted to match your space, and they have a variety of accessories such as hooks, baskets, and shelves so that you can customize it to fit your needs. Pegboards can be placed next to a workspace to hold rulers, scissors, rotary cutters, thread, starches, and other small and often used tools. Another idea that I love is to install a magnetic strip to your wall, and these are commonly used to hold knives in a kitchen. But if you put them in your sewing room, they can hold scissors and rotary cutters, uh, small snips, pins, wonder clips, needles, anything that's magnetic. They can hold it right in place. You could also install a small wall hanging rod to your space. So these rods, um, if you can't picture what I'm talking about, they're kind of like towel, towel holders. Um, they allow you to hang supplies with hooks such as any rulers or templates. Um, or you could also buy like small pails and hang them with hooks from the rod. And those can hold smaller tools, such as marking tools, seam rippers, scissors. So lots of varieties of things you can store on a rod as well. Wall shelves can also be added to your room. 
So these can hold a variety of tools, maybe fabric bundles, decor items, or small bins of supplies. And if the shelf has a lip, rulers and templates can sit upright on the shelf without falling off. And lastly, an easy idea that doesn't involve putting holes in your wall is to add a hanging shower caddy or shoe organizer to the back of the door. While not technically wall storage, it uses a space that doesn't necessarily get used for storage and can provide extra space to hold items. I hope these ideas inspire you to think of your wall in a new way. I know I'm always looking for more ways to add storage to my room without needing more furniture in my space. So if you have other ideas for wall storage, send me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com and we can share them on an upcoming show. Now it's time for listener tips where I get to fawn all over the genius ideas our listeners emailed to me. So Christine Larson emailed a great tip in response to episode 566 about tension issues. She says, I suggest trying a different presser foot. I work with a group of quilters who make quilts for charity. We use donated fabric from sheets to yard goods to quilting fabric that has been in storage for many years. The thickness and thread count of the fabric can vary greatly, but our quilters produce lovely quilts. We also have a lot of donated thread. I use it when I can, but I also bring new thread in if I need a color we don't have. My job with our group is to sew on the binding and sometimes run into tension issues. One week, I brought my machine to our quilting group and discovered that I only had the one presser foot, the quarter inch foot. I'd left my other presser feet at home. Well, the foot worked like a charm and the stitching was beautiful. In the past, I had always used a walking foot. My theory as to why this worked is that the quarter inch foot has a small opening and really presses the fabric down. Great tip, Christine. Uh, Changing the presser foot seems like an easy solution to try when we're experiencing those pesky tension issues. Nadine Urban had a tip for the listener on our Ask Us Anything podcast who was experiencing issues with her batting shredding on the edges when she made her quilt sandwich. Nadine says, when quilting, I make sure I have enough backing to fold over and pin it to the front of the quilt so the batting is covered. That way, the batting can't get on the front of the quilt. Thanks, Nadine. That is very clever. Uh, I've never thought about folding the backing fabric over to help protect the batting in that way, so that seems very helpful. And now I have some tips for um, that were sent in by some of our magazine readers. So Edna Moore says, I have a hard time deciding how to quilt my projects. To help with this, I take a picture of the quilt with my iPad and use the markup feature to draw on the photo the designs I have in mind. If I make a mistake, I just click undo and try again. When I am satisfied with the design, I click done and the markup is saved for reference when quilting. Arlene Hove says, when I need to rip out a seam, 
I placed the section under the press foot of my sewing machine to hold it in place. This leaves both my hands free to perform this unpleasant task. Joyce Harvey says, when I have a lot of triangle squares to trim, I mark the correct 45 degree angle on my acrylic ruler with painter's tape. This lets me quickly line up the stitching line correctly and trim the two sides. Shannon Winchester says, this year, along with my annual photo book of our family adventures and activities, I assembled a second photo book of all my quilting projects. For each quilt I made, I added a photo of the quilt and information on who I gave it to and for what event. And lastly, Sharon Jones says, at 84 years old, I struggled to thread the needle on my sewing machine. I discovered that if I place a piece of white paper behind the needle, I can see the needle eye, which has helped me so much. You know I love tips, so keep them coming by emailing me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. Now, before we leave today, I wanted to share a review of our podcast, and this one is from Jane Licata. It says, I have been listening to the American Patchwork and Quilting podcast for quite a while now, but it became even more important to me during the pandemic. It gave me something to look forward to and something I could count on during a very uncertain time. The podcast is hosted by Lindsay Mayland, who gives you the feeling that you're old friends having a chat. She's so easy to listen to. I've learned so much from listening to the podcast. The regular contributors and special guests always have helpful and interesting topics to share. Thank you for all you do to support the quilting community. Jane, uh, what a sweet review. I, I do feel like all the podcast listeners are my friends, so that means a lot to hear. So if this review is yours, please email me at our email that is listed in the show notes. Uh, I'd love to send you a little gift to say thank you. And if you haven't rated and reviewed our show before, we'd love you to. Uh, I'm personally aiming for us to have 400 total reviews by the end of the season because it really helps other quilters find us. To do so, you can open the Apple Podcasts app on your phone, in the bottom right corner, search for American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast, and then click on the show. Scroll down to the rating and review section and leave a star rating. I suggest a five. And if you're inclined, you can write a review. Thanks to all the listeners who do this or have done this in the past. And that's it for this week's show. Everyone have the best start to the month. October is one of my favorite months. Uh, and I'll chat with everyone next week.